The automobile is one of the most important inventions that revolutionized the modern world. In America, the rich history of car culture runs deep as technology continues to shape the future of the industry. Jason Stein is here to share the stories of people passionate about cars, from industry leaders and innovators to car-obsessed celebrities. Buckle up as Jason takes you inside the boardroom, onto the track, and around the bend on Cars and Culture on Sirius XM Business Radio. Welcome to Cars and Culture on Sirius XM and episode 129. I'm your host, Jason Stein. From horse racing to NASCAR to the Olympics to Netflix, there are few people in the car culture world that are more emblematic of diversity than Rutledge Wood. Your elementary school kid knows Rutledge from The Floor is Lava. Your father might know him from coverage at the Kentucky Derby. Your mother might know him from the barbecue cook-offs on the Food Network. And your car collector friend knows him from the modifications Rutt is constantly doing on his fleet of vehicles. Rutledge Wood is anything but static, and he's all about cars and culture. As one of the hosts of Top Gear USA, he was thrust into the car spotlight as the show attempted to mirror the standards of the British version. But he's been so much more than that since. Rutledge has taken his ability to be entertaining and informative and cast it across multiple platforms and multiple audiences and all the while maintaining his car collection, modifying trucks, cars, and vintage sidestep vans. He's even turning a Toyota pickup truck into a drift racer. Why? Because he can. Out in the world, at all of these places, some within the car community, some peripheral to it, he feels the future of car passion with a younger audience, and he's helping fuel it. Whether it's through his affiliation with rapper Killer Mike, who is himself a car collector, or as the host of Hot Wheels' Ultimate Challenge on NBC, Rutledge is at the center of it all. His world is a diverse one. And today, it's the world according to Rutledge on Cars and Culture. Hey, I'm Rutledge Wood, and this is Cars and Culture with Jason Stack. I did not come to this interview with a tucked-in shirt or khakis because... <laughs> I just wanted to be like Rutledge Wood, but look at this. You and I both show up in black shirts. I mean, this, this is perfect. Um, it's the way to go. I wore my, I wore my throwback, the Toyota Grand Prix of Long Beach t-shirt I found this morning. I was like, oh, this is a great one for today. I like that we match. That happens sometimes rarely, but this is I nice. like that too. I like that too. Welcome into the program. Hey, thanks for having me. It's so, it's so cool. Our, our friend Dutch invited me and I know we've tried to do this a bunch of times. My schedule has been crazy this year somehow, and uh, it always feels like that. But it's so glad to be here with you. Well, thank you for being with us. Uh, your schedule is crazy, and I want to talk about where you've been just recently because uh, the Specialty Equipment Market Association, SEMA, of course, trade show happened in Las Vegas. You were in Las Vegas just before the perfect storm of Formula One. How does it all look there? Uh, do you want do you want the like polished political, or do you want the no. on, do you want my honest want the... assessment? I want the Rutledge version. Okay, here's what I think. It's going to be... And we're on satellite radio, so if it was a shit show, just go ahead and tell us. Okay, I just want I want to paint a picture. It Las Vegas, we know, is always crazy. SEMA, especially that whole week, there's so many things happening. There's people everywhere. There's this small group of people that think if they have a McLaren, they should run straight pipe and just rev it everywhere. And I, I hear you. <laughs> I wish y'all would stop doing that. But um, right now... I, I had had the opportunity. It seemed like there was a deal coming together that I was going to go to F1 and go do some work for some friends. And it, that deal didn't really come together. And I was a little bummed at first. I thought this is going to be unbelievable to see in person, to be a part of this. Having been there now, I am very excited to watch it on TV. And I think I'm very thankful that I won't have to physically be there for this one, maybe in the future. But because of the way the course, I mean, it's, it's in the heart of Las Vegas. They're running on the strip. Um, it's going to be insane. I, I don't know how it's going to work, honestly. Every cab driver and Uber driver that I talked to, which was, of course, I, I'm a talker. You know, I, you're going to do the same thing. We're going to talk to everybody. Sure. Every single one, when I asked them, like, hey, how are you feeling about F1? Every single one said, oh, I'm not working that weekend. That's a lot. We're all getting out of here. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> so you won't be able to easily get to stuff. Everyone's going to have to just go around the outside of kind of the heart and soul of it, which that's a lot. But then also because it's running where the temporary buildings they built or new buildings and, and hit road, all this other stuff. I think people are just going to be lost. And the footbridges yeah. are weird. The only thing that seemed like a real jerk move to me was F1 trying to cover up any view that a person could have 
any sort of walk over anything like that. I get it. Y'all think you're awesome. Um, that's great. <laughs> I'm still a big believer that I think without drive to survive, which, and I say this with love, it's an awesome program, but it is uh, a soap opera for adults. If we're all mm-hmm. honest, right. Yeah. It's a great soap opera, but it's that's what opera. it is. Yeah. I personally feel like the racing product is not as quality as that show. No, and, that's that's true. Well, it, the racing product was a lot better a few years ago during the height of COVID when the show really took off and you had Max and Lewis were going at it every weekend. Yes, that was way more entertaining. But, you know, me coming from NASCAR, covering that for almost 20 years, you know, like we have passing and where people qualify doesn't necessarily mean that's where they're going to finish. And so right. for me... I, I've I've listened to people criticize NASCAR for so many years talking about, oh, well, you can't do this. You can't do that. Y'all, F1's boring. The sport right now is not exciting. I know we're in this era where Max is the king. I'm not I'm not discrediting that at all. But he also was basically quoted saying he doesn't really like the racing part. He just wants to get out and win. And I'm like, so you like qualifying, bro? That's not what is happening. <laughs> what is happening? It's not like Schumacher was ever like, you know, the passing part is fun, but I really just like being alone by myself and just running the fastest Sunday fast drive, a Sunday drive. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. And, and just back to formula one in, in Las Vegas again, could you have ever imagined that and, and maybe it is obviously, you know, Netflix is one part of the ingredient here, but could you ever have imagined that, the American public would have such an interest in what's happening with Formula One and that they would know who uh, Verstappen was or that they would care whether Hamilton won. I mean, I went to races for years in Detroit and there were no Americans there. I mean, they were the South Americans. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, if you look at, you know, I've always, for the record, I know it sounds like I'm hating on F1. I'm not. I just think the product needs to be better. And I think we need to have, actual passing actual mm-hmm. racing going on more than we have so i just want to be clear i i've been in that group that gets up really early and watches races from around the world because we have to right every time we'd be at a nascar track and there's a race on at 6 a.m we would all get there early and go in and they'd have the feed for us and we'd go watch so I, i'm a huge fan i can't believe the way that the show has impacted and really that's what's what's driven it right and yep. uh because if you talk to Guys like Dak Shepard, Dak's the perfect example, right? He's got his podcast, um, F1 with DRS, and the way that people have responded to that, and it's, again, talking about the subculture and all these other different parts, but also talking about what makes us, uh, you know, align ourselves with a certain driver. You know, the reason that, I mean, I love Daniel Ricciardo, right? The first interview I ever saw with that guy, I was like, this is my dude. He's someone that I, I want to pull for. Oh, he's amazing, yeah. Yeah, and you see the seasons and the change and all of those things. I just don't I don't think anyone could have guessed when that show got pitched and especially to a to a streaming service that doesn't show racing, which is enough, like the fact that, that Netflix. I mean, I've done some really fun stuff and certainly a lot of car stuff with them. But the fact that they bought this show about this global sport and thought, well, we're in 180 countries, people will watch in some capacity. But then for it to be this just absolute doorbuster uh that's crazy. I, I don't. The wildest part to me is that the race in Las Vegas is on at 10 p.m. at night. <laughs> That's right. To be in that crowd, we can't even. I've been I've been to to Talladega on Halloween, and I thought oh, you can't see anything crazier than this. I've been in Vegas on Halloween. This one was another one. Uh, but being at the Kentucky Derby, standing next to Dale Jr., watching the most attractive people I've ever seen barf in public. I don't I don't think we can even begin to imagine the level of wastedness that will be the majority of the crowd at 10 p.m. in Vegas. And you just got back from SEMA where, you know, there'll be a level of wastedness there as well. I mean, 100 percent. Not for me, man. We were the early birds like we don't. You make were fine. 1030. Yeah, we I mean, I'm there to work. So it's different for me. But I certainly saw it. when you are when you see people on your way to SEMA that, you know, are are coming out from the casino or the club at 7 a.m. And you're like, y'all, that was a long night. It's going to be a hard week for them. But it's it, uh, here's what I'll say. It's going to be crazy. It will be the stories I bet we'll hear from people will be bonkers. My One of my best friends, Tanner Faust, that I did talk here with, he's going to be running hot laps for McLaren. 
around there because he races in the Extreme E series. And I can't remember. Have you talked to Tanner before? I have not talked to Tanner. We'd love to talk to Tanner. We'll make that happen. He's he's amazing. Amazing. We we got to spend some time together um, last week, but he's flying himself in and he's going to land, I think, in Hendersonville, which is just a little bit north, I think. Uh, And that's a public airstrip. And if this gives people any sort of indication about how things are going to work, the amount of, you know, you've heard about F1 races, how many people come in for them. Certainly here in the U.S., everybody that's a big player with nothing to do is coming, right? So if you have a private jet, you're coming in. To touch down there is $3,000 at this public airport that is like 45 minutes away. Well, in Austin. In Austin last year, uh, we we had the chance to go, and at the private airstrip, they ran out of fuel. There were so <laughs> many planes. <laughs> I believe that you see them; they're on they're on both sides of the runway, parked in the grass. Like, wow, they're stacked. Yeah. What did you like at SEMO? Uh, what blew you away? What trends should we embrace, Rutledge? All right, if I can be totally honest, it's weird at SEMO right now. The weirdest part being a lot of the OEMs have pulled out, right? Stellantis, Dodge, they pulled out a right. week beforehand. Yep. That's right. Uh, which to me is a bonehead move. It's it's a bad sign to your to your core audience, right? Number one. Number two, if you want us to buy into all these things that are happening, you're missing out on the chance for us to be the the voice for you, right? So I, I hate that. Ford's changed a lot of stuff over the years. Um, I love that Toyota has just gone bigger and bigger and bigger every single year. You know, they Mm -hmm. had, we had 19 vehicles in the Toyota display. And this is my, I think, 12th year hosting SEMA for uh, Toyota. So we always do a big kickoff. We, this time we did it early on Monday afternoon. And then I did the kickoff Tuesday morning. So I love that we're still seeing changes in growth and new, you know, new builds. Toyota debuted a, I don't want to call it a concept car, but the coolest thing that I saw there, there were two huge vehicles in their booth. One was the X Runner, so it's a 24 Tacoma, but it had the 3.4 twin turbo V6 out of the Tundra in it. And you remember when the X Runner came out before? I think it was 0506, 040506, right in that window. It was a manual transmission only. You know, yep. there were three colorways, and no one was, no one else was really doing like a sport truck of any kind. And those things have still held their value like crazy. But this one is essentially, if you went to the parts bin at Toyota, what could you build? And so it was it was basically all stuff you could bolt on and create. And so I think what that means is if the public responds well to that, and I've asked them, like, could I take this on the Hot Rod Power Tour next year? Can, like, can I do autocross? Can I do burnouts? Can we drag race it? And the answer from the uh, production guy was like, yeah, and, and the, the engineer, they're like, yeah, yeah, that's why we want to make it. Like, this thing would be a screamer. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay. So I love that my buddy Marty Schwerter built the FJ Bruiser over there. And this is this, it, it's a TRD cup engine. So you got 700 something horsepower and it had a restrictor plate on there, which was funny, but it's got a tank track on the bottom. So if you were to high side it at any point from the driver's seat, you could use this tank track to control it. So I loved that. Uh, it was interesting how many classic cars I saw with electric motor swaps. Okay, like so let's that, say that last revolution year is underway. Yeah. It's fully. happening. Last let's say last year there was two or three. I bet I saw 25 or 30 this year, which doesn't sound like a lot. That's a huge amount. Wow. That's a huge amount. I mean, there was one uh I saw Bud Brutzman, it was over in his uh, booth and for the for the show, and it had like it was a 67 Mustang fastback, and I think it had either eleven hundred or twelve hundred all-wheel drive horse power like that's insane so it was it was great i saw i think we're seeing um i saw like the the ppf that now looks like vinyl wrap but it's really colored ppf i think that'll be cool i think that's going to be interesting how that kind of changes that industry a little bit because it seems like it might be a little bit tougher than vinyl i don't know i don't know how those two groups will pair against each other because it looks like vinyl, but it's really PPF, mm. which is supposed mm. to be different, but it's colored. So that was interesting. Uh, huge amount of bro dozers. The amount of huge trucks there is probably the most I've seen in, in the last 10 years. And I love that, you know, keep in mind, I'm a guy that I built like a neon yellow 
tundra. Then I had a bright purple tundra. I really like fun colors. I've got three daughters. The amount of like pink and teal and like funky <laughs> colored trucks was amazing. Most of them that were the jacked up four wheel drive did not have a front drive shaft and that's okay. It's, it's a show. We're not here to knock them. Um, I'm trying to think of what else I saw that was really, I mean, of course we're seeing a ton of like lighting technology uh, is getting better and better on the aftermarket side. Uh, my friends at Magnaflow, um, bought a company called Camberg Racing. So it's really cool to see them get into that space of off-roading and overlanding. I think that's going to be really cool. Um, I'm trying to think what else. I mean, there was a ton of stuff still. I mean, every year. Hoonigan had a really great showing out front. You probably saw the Vernyard was gigantic. Um, They had had, um, Leah Block there, and she drove her dad's uh, Hoonicorn, which was so cool. You know, it's it's the first SEMA uh, without Ken. So that was definitely... It's hard to imagine someone's footprint, a guy like Ken Block and what he really meant to the industry. And then you're there and you see it and you feel like, oh, man, this is this is different. And it's funny because he wasn't a guy that grew up in that stuff. You know, we there are people that come in this industry and innovate and change things. And he was one of those guys that I guess when they were. You know, when he started DC and he was skating, they end up doing this thing with Monster and they'd go to like these go-kart days. And Ken was getting destroyed by like 13-year-olds on go-karts. And so he basically decided like, I want to be better at this. I want to be a better driver. So he started hiring, you know, driving coaches. Tanner spent a lot of time with him. Then he ends up competing and he starts liking rally. Then he does rally cross, all this other stuff. And and through his path and really his love of just going fast and, and being insane behind the wheel, you know, you birth this level of interest that's so, that's just so real and so organic. And now it's interesting to see, you know, I think the brand uh, and wheel pros that bought Hoonigan kind of announced the week before that they're going to change their name of the whole parent company. Everything's going to be under the Hoonigan name. Right. And I think we're going to see, what I hope is that we see this genuine connection between people and car culture. And hopefully it's going to be amplified in a way that is bigger and louder than it's ever been before. So I know guys like you and I, I can totally get behind that because it's going to be sort of redefining the stuff that made all of us interested in it in the first place. We had Mike Spagnola on the show last year, and he talked about really preserving that car culture that SEMA is still and aims to be the epicenter of car culture. And yeah, you. I, I. I think there's no other place on the planet that that would allow that immersive experience from all angles. Uh, there is nothing else, Rutledge. Yeah, and and let's give Mike credit. What a good dude uh, to see the way that he loves what they're doing. I think yep. they did something really cool this year. They made this thing called SEMA Fest, and they were trying to basically take some of the element of the car show part of SEMA and then bring a bunch of musicians together. Uh, my friend Jared DeAnda emceed it, and I wasn't there in town still for it. It looked awesome. I do think um, as an industry, so many people ask, what can I do to be there? Like, how can I be a part of it? I kind of think we ought to have one day that is a more public-focused day mm-hmm. because all of these companies, even though they do a ton of B2B stuff, that's certainly what like the Apex show, which is basically across the street, they can go do that stuff. But a lot of these companies, there's no better way to meet your core audience, especially the enthusiasts, than saying, hey, come on in. We want to meet you. We want you to see our new stuff that we're right. working on. So I do I do wish there was a way that we could figure out what's that part. Like, let maybe we have a few days where the industry can do all their stuff, make their have their meetings, do all that. But how do we bring the public in and really celebrate all the hard work that all these people put in on all these vehicles, especially? There's so much that I want to cover with you here, but I want to start at the country music television and the fact that (laughs) you were doing marketing after graduation from Georgia and then you're doing a sales job at Hertz, right? And then you're Uh doing gigs in radio and karaoke in Metro Atlanta. Absolutely. And now we're sitting here talking about, you know, (laughs) SEMA and I'm going to talk about Hot Wheels and, and Netflix and the floor is lava and all that stuff. What a I believe I believe that uh, Mike Myers, uh, Michael Myers said said it best in Wayne's World. I have a large collection of name tags and hairnets. <laughs> it took a lot of it took a lot of hard work and a lot of fun stuff to get here. 
I'll tell you this. I, I went to school for marketing at the University of Georgia. It was kind of the most non-specific business major because they had ditched general business two years before. And I was like, oh, okay. that's what I was going to do. So, you know, marketing to me is connecting people and things, whether it's a product, an experience, mm -hmm. an idea, it's, it's that. So I've really just marketed myself my whole career. Since I got out of, out of school, it was like day one, what do I do next? And so, yeah, that's how I ended up doing mobile marketing for CMT. And then I was like, I don't really want to travel, which was hilarious. Uh, great foreshadowing for what was going to happen the, the rest of my career. Right. I was going right. to travel nonstop. But non -stop, I was like, oh, I'll just, yeah. I'll just, you know, and I tried, I was like, I'll just get a normal job. And a family friend got me an interview and I, I worked for Hortz. And uh, even though I was like, I was miserable, I didn't want to do that job. I knew it wasn't the right thing. I still, my work ethic is so high that I was like winning sales awards but miserable and uh yeah then what were you one doing day like I was, checking people out at the rental counter so it wasn't like an airport one it was hertz local edition so they were like these smaller hertz that would be like if your car got in a fender bender they're oh. the group that's like oh we got a car for you we'll come get you so it was really funny it was great but i was still like this isn't for me and so one day i was like hey um i just want to let you know i'm gonna I'm going to quit. And they're like, okay, you putting in your two weeks. I was like, no, I was just, I'm just going to go get my keys. I'm just going to, I'm going to take <laughs> off. <laughs> Which I felt bad uh, for, but you're like, look, I got it. Life's short. I got to go. I showed up at a radio station um, two days later because a family friend we had met over there. And I just start showing up every day asking this guy, uncle rich, can I watch you do your show? And he's like, sure. He teaches me how to use the board and operate that. And then they, two weeks later, they offered me a part-time job and I was like, great. Cause I started like taking the trash out and stuff when I noticed no one else was doing it. Now, meanwhile, I'm flipping cars on Craigslist at the same time. So I'm buying stuff, wash it, clean it up, sell it. So I can have some money. Right. We, we had just gotten married at that point. And so you're like, well, I got to figure out what this next thing is. And I, I'd spend like eight months seemed to be my window of time. So I was at the radio station, eight months. I get hired away by a friend to go do marketing and host karaoke uh, at their local club called the Alamo in Noonan, Georgia, my friend Avon Monane. <laughs> Avon is this incredible DJ and also MC, and she really helped me understand how do I host, how do I MC, how do I get the crowd to do the things that I want to do. And every day I was looking online for jobs, and I found on Craigslist this link for it said a national uh, motorsports network needed someone who could be an on-site marketing rep and an MC, and that turned out to be the Speed Channel. And I put in, I put in a, a, a application and uh, did a couple phone interviews, drove to Charlotte. And two weeks after that, I was at the Daytona 500. And wow, that was just like kind of the beginning of all the craziness. But I want you to say, uh, <laughs> back to the karaoke. All right, let's hear it for Yvonne doing ABBA. <laughs> That's right. All right. All right, guys, let's get Yvonne up here. She's going to be doing Dancing Queen. <laughs> I mean, it was Jason's now, going to do Kenny Chesney next. Here was the brilliance of it. I knew doing, I love to sing. I love to do karaoke. I know people get really nervous. So my idea was let's make it to where everyone looks silly and they dress up funny. So it just evens the playing field. So we created this thing called the karaoke chest of fun. And it had probably 10 different wigs in there. Oh. It had a bunch of my old outfits and then we went to like the local Goodwill and got the weirdest things we could for like 50 bucks. And we put it all together literally in a gigantic chest. So you'd see a person up there with like a Viking helmet on singing Toby Keith. So suddenly the girl in the back that was like shy and nervous, she's like, well, that guy looks like an idiot. I'm going to be fine. And man, it was so much fun, Jason. To have that sort of equalizer was just a great lesson for me. And like, oh, man, if we can all feel good, everything's going to be great. I love it. You've covered the Olympics on NBC, uh, barbecue competitions on the Food Network. Um, of course, all the kids listening know about you from the floor is lava. How did all that happen? You know what's funny? I, I'm still not sure. The, the first opportunity I got was um, outside of Speed Channel was for Top Gear, right? So I hosted, I was one of the hosts of Top Gear US on the History Channel. And you thought it was a hoax, right? When they called you, somebody called you. Absolutely. I, I got a phone call and it was a woman named Celia and she was from the central booking agency. And she said, she wanted to talk to me about a show. And because I prank called so many people in college, because at, U <laughs> at UGA, all of the dorms had the same like prefix. It was three, five, seven, and then four numbers. So you would just, sometimes we'd play dorm roulette and we just get a bunch of people together and call them on speakerphone and leave funny messages. 
So I thought for sure it's a friend prank calling me. So I was like, hey, you got to come up with a better name for your company next time. And a central up. booking agency. That Like, what are they talking about? Turns out it's a huge thing. Central booking agency has been around a long time. And I just had no idea. So she calls right back and she's like, let's try this again. I, I tried to find a manager or an agent. You don't seem to have either. I'm calling BBC wants to talk to you about a show. And I was like, I am so sorry I hung up on you. Yes, I'd love to. So that ends up being the opportunity to talk to producers uh, about Top Gear, which, of course, I loved the UK show um, and I loved what they did. I even knew that they had done a pilot for NBC that that failed and didn't get picked up. So I I knew a lot about it. And of course, the whole time, like, I never think I'm going to get this. I'm just a goofy guy from Alabama who's been living in Georgia since he was 15. I'm now covering NASCAR. Like, there's so many things that I was like, I'm. There's no way they'd let me do that. And then lo and behold, I got it. So that was like the first thing. Turns out a bunch of the people that I worked with um, on Top Gear over the years at History and at BBC went on to go do other things. So a couple years later, like I did a show called Lost in Transmission in between seasons of Top Gear, which was a fun show. That was like kind of my first time that I got to do stuff on my own. And it was about fixing up cars at home with my friends and, and my friend George Flanagan helped me do that one. And I end up moving to NBC in 20, end of, I guess it was 2015. Uh, so I go to Brazil in 2016 for the Summer Olympics, uh, Pyeongchang Winter Olympics, all that kind of stuff. So um, at some point, I get a phone call um, from Netflix and they say, hey, um, we have this show called Hyperdrive. And it's going to be this kind of crazy racing thing. Well, I had met with the producers two years before. And I, I just try to be honest with everybody. And I feel like we can, if we're just, just being normal people, things will go better. Yeah. yeah. So these people told me about the show and it sounded insane and it sounded super cool, but it also sounded really, really expensive. And so I told them, I don't know if anyone's ever going to give you all enough money to do this show. Right. But if they do, please call me. Like, I'd love to be a part of it. This sounds rad. It's just, you can't, you can't half-ass this. Like, it's got to be all the way. Yeah. So then I get a call, and turns out the show is going to work. And I was like, oh, this is great. So turns out they they had me out. I read for that a little bit, and uh, and I got picked. And Hyperdrive is still one of my favorite things I've ever done. It's, it's on Netflix. It's this crazy combination of, like, American Ninja Warrior, but for cars. So it's people in their own cars doing kind of like Top Gear-esque insane stunts, but there's all these different things. So it's trying to test a little bit of drag racing, a little autocross, a little drifting, targets. It's it's insane. So we do that show, and someone there says, we think you should do another show for us. What? Who do you want to work with? You know, what could you do? And I was like, well, I want to work with this guy, John Hessling, who I'd done Top Gear with. And they're like, great, okay. So we start talking, they want a... a a barbecue competition show. And my whole thing was I want to make a show that is legit barbecues, great stuff, but also like, I don't want fake drama. Like that just seems dumb to me. So I don't want to have anything to do with that, but let's find real people that are cool and actually make you want to go cook and and be passionate about it. So that was the show we created called American barbecue showdown. Uh, And we shot that here in Georgia around my schedule. I was like going to races every week and we'd come up and pick, pick back up. So that was really fun. And after they had bought, so they bought that show and then they called me and said, Hey, we have this show called the floor is lava. And I was like, I'm in. That's literally all they said. And I was like, I'm in, I want to do it. And they're like, how do you, do you know what that is? It's like, I played floors lava as a kid. Like where you jump up on all you the jump from couch to couch. Yeah. I was like, this will be perfect. Having no idea what it was actually going to kind of be like. And so the fun thing for me is I knew they had bought the barbecue show, but I hadn't heard anything about it. And this is like April of 2019 let's say and uh i hadn't heard anything about it so when they called about this other thing and i'm gonna have to get nbc was so kind to always let me out to go do other stuff and you know i was like going to floors lava and then i fly overnight to be at the indy 500 and just everyone's been so kind to me that i've worked with to know that i i love doing all this different stuff and i think it you know it helps everybody because if your kids know me from floors lava and then they see me on a NASCAR race and go, oh, my gosh, here's that. Then there's a chance they might want to watch with you. So That's it's right. really been a, a, a great thing. But um, my agents, when I talked to them at the agency I was at, I said, tell you what, tell them I'll do that show. But they have to it's got to trigger the other show to go into production. So, like, we'll combo them. 
And they were like, this isn't American Pickers. Like you can't, this industry, you can't like bundle stuff. And I was like, I've got nothing to lose. I don't live in LA. I'm not going to wait tables between my next thing. Like just throw it out there and see what happens. Excuse me. So turns out that worked. And so Mm -hmm. that's how both of those shows end up happening. Um, And the crazy part is we had no idea that the world was going to basically slow down to a stop in 2020. Flora's Lava comes out in June of 2020. It's real close to Father's Day. And the next week, it, it, it's like three days later, it goes to number one on Netflix. And then it just stays there for a week and a half or something. And each day I wake up and I'm like, it's whatever it is, it's cool. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's number one again. It's number one again. We got 38 million viewers in the first month. Wow. And it was worldwide for Netflix. It was number seven for Netflix Global for 20 and it came out halfway through the year. So it's this just juggernaut of family fun, me telling goofy dad jokes. And I spent my whole career talking about cars and people and racing and all these other things. And then I go do this super fun thing. And suddenly every kid overnight knows who I am. And like my daughters all knew what I did for work. Their friends didn't really get it. They knew I traveled a lot, but overnight all I've got three daughters, all of their friends are like, that's your dad. That your dad's a floors lava guy. <laughs> and now all of a sudden you're getting stopped in supermarkets and everything else. Yes. Like, because think about it, covering NASCAR, it typically always skewed a little bit older. Top gear brings that down right to a no. younger audience. And you're doing the food shows, whether it was Southern and hungry. I did with my friend Guy Fietti and uh, my co-host is Damaris Phillips. She's amazing. You know, I keep, it's funny how I find all these different like audiences and then the kid audience hits and like still when i go it was a thanksgiving feast uh at our youngest daughter's school yesterday and all these kids are like that's the floor's lava guy that's that's your dad wow. like it just cracks that's you up so, so cool i just had no idea that i'd get yeah. to do all these things and then this past year i mean this year i'm saying past because it's november um this year i got to host my first primetime show uh which turns out to know that i got to be the host of a car show that's on prime time on NBC, the biggest network in the world. Like that's, yeah. you just would never have guessed that I answered a Craigslist ad and I just what wanted to make story. people smile. Jason, what I just didn't want to, I didn't want to work in a cubicle. And here yeah. I am hosting the show with my favorite toy of all time. The thing that ties car culture in for so many of us at a young age, I'm representing Hot Wheels Hot on Wheels. this global level it's the craziest thing i've ever seen and then you look at the show and it is a joy factory i mean to to connect people with memories of their childhood or their family and car culture and all of these different parts and get to put a smile on their face i i still don't i don't understand how these things happen i feel so lucky every day well it's amazing and many many listeners will know you as the host of that show now hot wheels ultimate challenge was that a show concept brought to you to host or are you integral in the creation of it? I, I did not get to help create it. I got to do a lot of producing as it was happening, which was really fun for me. Um, it came to me. Somebody I, I'd kind of heard rumblings of it and I was like, well, that would be awesome if that happens. And, and you're not sure this industry is, it's just so strange. And this year is a perfect example with the strike. I'm so glad it ended. Last night, that's great news. Uh, Originally, I was uh, being interviewed to be a judge for the show. And I think they had hoped for some really high caliber names to host it, which totally makes sense. The tough thing about something like that is if you don't really know and love cars and know lots of different cars, I think that would be a pretty difficult position to be in. And the further down the road they got, they're like, this dude is a nerd. He knows about a lot of cars <laughs> and a lot of different parts of culture in the world. And so suddenly it was like, Hey, so we think you might get to host it. <clears throat> and then I was like, how is this going to work? This is going to be insane. So the show shot in the UK. And part of that I think was because we were doing something no one had ever done before. The competition show is to take two people and you reunite them with a car from their past. Now, not the car, but a car that is identical to it. So Mm -hmm. we might buy an old Chevy Blazer and paint it before they even see it the same color 
put stuff on the interior that is the same beaded seat cover, maybe the the Dalmatian that's head bounces on the dash, whatever. We try to painstakingly get those cars as perfect as they remember, and then we reunite them with that car. Now, that moment, way more emotional than any of us thought, because sometimes you're seeing these like big muscular dudes, a grandma, everybody comes out, and it's just waterworks for almost every single mm. person. Sure it is. And it was so cool. You know, you think about the cars that you grew up in with your family. Like, what was the car that you remember most growing up in? My dad's Toyota Supra from 1986. Oh, no way. Yeah. And your dad's cool. That's that's a legit. (laughs) Dude, that's a cool car. Especially (laughs) be a kid. You're like, my dad's a superhero part-time. He's got a Supra. Well, and I had my... And my mother gave me her Volkswagen GTI when I was 16. Oh, come on. A-valve or 16-valve? It was 16 Oh man, come on. That's awesome. That's a yes. fun car. So yes. imagine, imagine you walk out and either one of those cars is there exactly <sighs> the way you remember it. Waterworks. Absolutely. And then yeah. we're going to give you this team. We call them the carpoolers. They are fabricators, you know, artists, mechanics, and they're going to create whatever it is you want out of that thing. So if you wanted that Supra to be slammed Most- on the ground, huge wheels, Maybe you want it jacked up and you want to make like a safari car. Whatever it is that you wanted to do, they're going to do it. And they truly only had a week to do it. You know, TV, I'm going to be honest, Jason, you know, sometimes they fib a little. I know. <laughs> I know it's going to shock a lot of people. Breaking news on Sirius XM. Yeah, I hate to tell everyone, the Kardashians, they weren't actually going to do that on that Tuesday. Oh, no. There was a little bit of a plan there. <clears throat> but... Our teams really did only, they only had a week and that's start to finish paint, body wear, everything you need to do. You've got a week to do it. And then when you see the cars that the super fan, we call them, they get to help up with the team, everything except basically the last day and a half. And so they see the car revealed to them in this huge way that is truly trying to make a car into a life-size Hot Wheels because Hot Wheels, their team does so much work in the design phase to really put so many details in a car that could never be in a normal car. And so for us, it's like, let's do that on this life-size scale. Um, it was incredible to have my friend, my friend, my friend, Hertrich Eugene Jr. People know him as Hurt. He was at Hoonigan for years. Hurt and I have been friends for like 15 years. When they told me that he got the show, which I knew was going to be huge for him, um, I called him on FaceTime and I started crying. I didn't mean to, but I was just so proud. Like, it's just such a cool thing to have this, you know, Haitian kid with a dream, as he says in his new song with T-Pain. He worked it in Juku Racing, which is down in in your neck of the woods. And to see his success and everything else to make all of that stuff work was so cool. And then Dalala Shek, who's this amazing designer. She's now with Mercedes. Um, It was just, man, it's one of the coolest experiences. It was also one of the hardest shows I've ever worked on because we were in the UK. We were gone for two and a half months. Uh, away from my whole family and that's a that's a ton of time for everything but <clears throat> the days are long because you literally only have you know 12 13 hours a day these people you're trying to help them get some ideas because you know sometimes you see a person really commit to something and you just want to lean in and be like hey that's a cool idea it's not gonna work not, yeah. you do not have yeah. the time to put a swimming pool in this car or whatever it is so <laughs> some people said oh it's like pimp my ride i was like nah, i mean i get why you could say that I think it is bigger and better, and it's got a competition element, which Pimmeri didn't have. But uh, it was just so cool to see that show and how it how it did. It's on Peacock. There's also a a, a cool after show that we did because it was also fun that how many people disagreed with the cars that we would pick as the winner. I really enjoy mm-hmm. that because you know everybody likes something different, and sometimes we would see a car. Uh, and I, there's definitely a difference of on-camera versus in-person, right? I'd never yes. seen it with this much disparity. But on-camera, if you saw it, like, man, every single car looked awesome. That's a real gift. And that is not necessarily what it was like in person. A couple of them, you were like, wow, did Ray Charles design this? Who <laughs> would pick that element for this thing? Like, there's no way someone with vision of a car and understanding what you're trying to do here. Some of them were just a miss, but also... <clears throat> the kind of randomness of how the teams, how the cars ended up in the shows they did. Some of them, if you had swapped them around, we would have had a totally different finale, I bet. But certain mm-hmm. cars, you know, just crushed other ones in their in their kind of uh, expectations and follow through. But it was such a cool thing to be part of. This The strike is definitely 
brought all of the networks to a to a standstill. So we haven't heard yet if we're going to get another season. I'm going to do everything I can to keep driving people to go watch on Peacock because I think we could do some some really cool stuff with it. Well, but even this, the celebrities were cool to be a part of that with them. Well, we'll we'll hopefully use this as a megaphone to anybody listening yes. uh, as well. We we Please will do. do that. A great family friendly show that's all about cars and car culture on a major network. It's a what a gift that is alone. After the break, I'll continue my conversation with TV personality Rutledge Wood. And to see my interview with him, go to the Carson Culture YouTube channel. Like and subscribe to see more than 125 interviews and more than a thousand videos. The automobile is one of the most important inventions that revolutionized the modern world. In America, the rich history of car culture runs deep as technology continues to shape the future of the industry. Jason Stein is here to share the stories of people passionate about cars, from industry leaders and innovators to car-obsessed celebrities. Buckle up as Jason takes you inside the boardroom, onto the track, and around the bend on Cars and Culture on Sirius XM Business Radio. Welcome back into Cars and Culture. I'm your host, Jason Stein. Now the continuation of my conversation with TV personality, Rutledge Wood. And to see my interview with him, go to the Cars and Culture YouTube channel. Like and subscribe to see more than 125 interviews and more than 1,000 videos. Because you're out in the world at all these places, some within the car community, some peripheral to it, give us a sense of the future of the car passion that you see with a younger audience. I definitely think it's, I, I think there is more hope to be had than we thought for a couple of years with that notion of like, oh, people are getting their license. Yeah. You know, I see with my oldest daughter, who's 15, we live in a town called Peachtree City, Georgia, where we have 100 miles of golf cart path. And so when you turn 15, if you go get your permit, you can drive a golf cart anywhere you want in town on these paths. And I see that to me is a really great thing in this area because it it makes them better drivers right? By the time they get their license, they've actually been driving something every single day for a year, understanding laws and traffic and stuff that's going on there. But I'm hearing more and more kids now talk about, okay, we had that kind of time period where people were just virtually hanging out, whatever. It turns out that stinks. And that's not real connection. And even they know it now. So I think we're starting to see that. It's funny talking to Elsie, my oldest, I've got a Corolla hatchback that's a manual. It's a six-speed, like a 2019. And I've gotten her help on picking out the wrap color. And, you know, I wanted to make some make something that would be fun for her to be her first car. But I want you to know, it's got a it's got a Magnaflow exhaust on there. It's got rotiforms, but it's a manual transmission. I wanted her to have something that she had to actively drive and understand that as her first car. Now, that may not be the car that she has forever, maybe we sell it six months, eight months later, get her something else. But I wanted her to have to focus fully on that experience. And it's funny, she's great at it. She doesn't love it because it it's taking that mental focus. I do think if we had more manual transmissions to teach kids, I definitely think they'd be better drivers. But also, let's be honest, half the parents of these kids can't drive either. So it's a, <laughs> it's a funny thing well. to me. I think probably in the same way that you do. I think the story of why I have old cars and why those are cool and connecting them with that, it's really just if we can show younger people what it is about cars that we love, we will continue this passion and this hobby. But my 72 K5 Blazer that I built with Summit Racing in Holly last year, that connects more people with the experience of driving than hardly anything else I own, you know? A former boss of mine, uh, Keith Crane, uh, uh, runs Crane Communications, Automotive News, uh, <clears throat> editor-in-chief for a long time. Uh, obviously, Dutch knows him well. He had a philosophy for for my children, and, and it was four-wheel drive, manual, steel roof. Because you're going to keep your hands off your uh, off your cell phone, Yep. You're going to be okay with four-wheel drive in any most most any situation. And if the thing flips, you're going to be okay there too. And I've followed that philosophy. So a Subaru WRX fits the bill. Yes. Yes. That's perfect. I mean, that will a yeah. Subaru WRX will make people love driving. It's yeah. fun. It's exciting, but it's not so fast. It, yeah. yeah. But and we, my son does. Yeah. I was gonna say, for the record, I used to say, oh, it's not fast enough to get you in trouble. I've, I've slowly removed that statement from my vernacular. <laughs> I think you can, you, the right hands, anybody can can destroy something. But 
I used to think that the best thing for a 16 year old would be a used cop car with a brush guard on the front. And I, <laughs> I still, I'm pretty firm on that. I think either a Crown Vic or a Camry should be everybody's first car, right? Something that you can afford to insure. It's cheap on yep. gas, but also you can learn some fundamentals of like, how do I work on this? How do I change tires? I do think the more that we talk about this country and the amazing towns that are on two lanes, I do think that we can create more interest and more love and connection of going out and finding those spots. Because that's, I do think that was a real gift that um, 2020 brought us And So many people are like, Oh, you can't go anywhere. Well, I'll be damned. This is the time that I want to go somewhere. And suddenly people got on the highway and they went places and they, they went places again. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Camping, RVing, all of these things took off because people were like, Oh, if I'm not supposed to go anywhere, I'm definitely going to go somewhere now. Now's the time. And I, you know, I took a, like a COVID safe road trip in December of 2020 with my friend, Ryan Eversley, who's a pro race car driver and our friends at continental tire. We both flew out to LA. We each picked up our own sports car. He got an NSX. I had a Toyota Supra and we made a simultaneous road trip together. Cause again, they were saying you shouldn't be in the car. Okay, fine. We'll do it together. And we went <laughs> down route 66. My dad grew up in Moriarty, which is just outside of Albuquerque. And in between the two on route 66 is this one section of lane where you can drive. I think it's 45 miles an hour and there are grooves in the asphalt and they will play a song in your car as you drive. It's, what? <laughs> yes. It's, it's the coolest man. And it was like having those kind of moments or, you know, we stayed at my, oh, my uncle Mike's. It was like my dad's best friend growing up. We stayed at his family's motel in Moriarty and and I think it's the Sunset Motel it's just you have these experiences and you then go you carry on I think it was Tucum Carry there's a lot of other spots you know Route 66 was just this amazing vessel and it was it was really like transport transporting people to another place another lifestyle it would let you imagine that you could be anything you would want to be and you know I don't think we have another equivalent of that today. I mean, the interstate is fantastic. Sure. You can go from Atlanta to Florida in six hours. That's awesome. But like, what's that part of America that expressed freedom and all these other things? I think taking families out, showing kids how many cool small towns there are out there is the greatest way that we have forward personally. Yeah. A couple of final things here. And unfortunately, because uh, I think we could probably talk for a week here. You're a color analyst for NBC's horse racing broadcast. How did you arrange it that you got yourself some real wild ass suits? Okay. I want to be clear. My, my job for NBC has always been to help people understand that sort of sense of place. Uh, and my boss, Sam Flood there does such a great job at helping us create these opportunities. And you know, when I first went to NBC, I told him I couldn't tuck my shirt in. I couldn't wear khakis. He wears khakis. <laughs> he tucks his shirt in. But when he said, hey, we're going to the Derby, that was all he said. And I thought, this is my chance. I'm going to show them that I can wear a suit. I just don't normally. So I, the first year, I think I ordered some shoot suits from my friends at Shinesty. They make some really loud, like off-the-wall stuff. Um, and the second year, I said, can you guys help me? Can you design some suits for me. I gave them like eight months heads up. Yeah, absolutely. And so every year they were making me custom suits that would have NBC logos kind of hidden somewhere in there. Uh, one of them, it was a, a peacock feathers one year. Uh, and I even, I even got Sam and Dale Jr. a matching jacket once. And there's a picture of us all with matching jackets. So we had a great time, but uh, it's such a, you know, my job is like sense of place. And so I try to help people be there, be a part of it. And the Kentucky Derby is still one of my favorite things I've ever been a part of. It's It should blast. be on everyone's bucket list. Yeah. What a blast. Yeah. Uh, I know you do a lot of car restorations. You have a lot of cars. What don't you have that you want? Oh, gosh, that's a great question. I really want uh, a nice FJ40 that has a, uh, a soft top. I think I would probably trade my K5 Blazer for uh, an equivalent. FJ, it's just the FJ values are so much higher that I couldn't. I def, I always want to have a really cool Land Cruiser. I have this weird itch to find a McLaren MP4 12C. Oh, 
Nice. Said with said with love, uh, some of the McLarens have not been the most reliable cars, and I've watched a bunch of people work on them on YouTube. And someone found out like the same they use the same um, coil packs as a Altima, and that one really made me laugh. But uh, Tanner and I <laughs> in, and Adam on Top Gear, we did a cross country road trip, and I got to drive that car, uh, and it was so fast for a, a rear wheel drive setup, and they've come down so much in price. Um, that was crazy. I built the RWB, which is a, a bespoke 911, like one of one built for you. I really want to build another one. I sold the first one because it tried to kill me every time I drove it because I put an LS3 in the back from Summit Racing. And Tanner drove it, blew it up. We had to change the engine. Thank you, GM Performance. Appreciate y'all. Uh, <laughs> I did say Tanner blew it up, not me. Uh, that car was so fun. I, I definitely... Uh, would love to have another uh what do they call that bear they have like this red berry color uh mm. of a 911 of like a 1990 to 93 i'd love to just have one of those that has a cool set of wheels on it and drive it and not mess with it because driving that car it really is just a beetle with two extra cylinders uh 911 people won't like that but that's the truth and they know it <laughs> i think i just want something like that and i really want another donk i had a 76 caprice and I really want to build a Toyota Supra 2JZ powered 71, 72, 73 Caprice convertible on huge wheels. Well, if you go to your Instagram account, you can see the progress on a Toyota pickup truck you're making into a drift racer. Yes. But, yes, it's so close. Why? Why? <laughs> why? Why not? Come on. Man. Why not? Why not? I love that. Tra- I always wanted a, a 91 to 95 Toyota pickup when I was in high school and I couldn't afford one. I had an 81 rabbit pickup and a couple of my friends had those. And so I've always been into mini trucks and I finally decided, okay, now I'm going to build one. So I did like the forerunner front end conversion. And then I, I lowered it, put starring wheels on it. Turns out I had a blown head gasket and I was not going to spend all that money at the time to replace it on that 22 RE. So it's got a one JZ twin turbo swap. It's at quarter works in Atlanta. And uh, we made the decision yesterday to wrap it instead of paint it so that I can be doing donuts before the end of the year. So you're going to love oh, that one. We'll go for a ride. Gosh, I love, I'll, I'll, I'll come up to Georgia. I'll come up to Peachtree city. We'll take it on some of those uh, golf cart paths. <laughs> okay. Let's do it. They'll love it. You have come a long way, my friend from the rental car uh, counter at Hertz. I know it wasn't at the airport, but you know what I mean? Still. And uh, could not be more proud, more happy uh, about your success, about your varied interests. You're perfect for this show because we are chronicling, documenting. We have uh, car uh, car culture and you are car culture. So oh, Rutledge Wood, thank you for being a guest. Thank you for um, for making making us laugh on this program more than we have in 130 episodes. <laughs> thank you i will take that that's a great thing jason thanks for having me brother appreciate what y'all are doing thank you so much thanks again to my guest today tv personality rutledge wood and to see my interview with him go to the cars and culture youtube channel like and subscribe to see more than 125 interviews and more than a thousand videos i'm jason stein we'll see you down the road